The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Good morning. As Brian said, the scripture comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 32 through 47. If you're using the Black Pew Bibles, that's on page 910. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Acts chapter 2, verses 32 through 47. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. As I mentioned, there's a mission team coming back from Italy. One of those uh, persons uh, going is Pastor Jonathan. So um, he asked Pastor John to uh, to fill in this morning. Uh, many of you know this. I've known John for a long time, and I could do the math, but uh, it goes back to uh, my freshman year in college. John has been a really positive influence in my, my life, and uh, I'm very thankful to call him a brother in Christ and uh, uh, just want to commend him to you all as a faithful brother who really um, wants the best for you. I, I, I know a lot of, of, of godly Christian men, um, but uh, John's one of the, I think, most selfless Christian men I know. So um, I'm thankful for you, brother, and looking forward to uh, hearing what you have to say to us. Excuse me. Hey, everybody. It's good to see you. So as John, uh, John said, Brian said, I'm John. Uh, mess up number one. It'll probably have many. You're welcome. Uh, so yeah, I'm a pastor here. Um, I'm a lay pastor. John's our full-time guy. He gets paid. The rest of us are good for nothing. That's our hope, at least. Um, it's a joke. I'm stealing from somebody else. Uh, my main area of oversight is community groups, which today we're in a sermon series on the heart of maturing disciples. So say maturing with me. Maturing. That was pretty good. Good job. Thanks, Johnny. Uh, so maturing disciples. So uh, we're doing week number two. Um, last week, Pastor Tom did the aspect that we seek to do within Delta Church of maturing, which is individual, life-on-life, relationship, discipleship. Uh, This week, we're going to do another form of discipleship where we seek to um, help mature disciples, and it's through the means of community groups. Uh, So before I really get into the text, um, we're going to have a moment to pray, but I have one encouragement and another warning. Um, So the first encouragement, uh, Galatians 6.6 says that... um, Everyone who has taught the word, share all good things with him who teaches it. Um, so as Brian said, I'm not the main teaching pastor here. Jonathan is. But I would just encourage you. I try to do this every time I preach. 
encourage him. If God's using something that is, that is um, birthed out of a sermon or out of his teaching or out of his leading, encourage him. Not as flattery, not to make him feel good about himself, but God knows what he's talking about. And reality is it's sometimes hard. Um, it takes some work to prepare and to lead, and he feels a lot of responsibility, even though we lead as a team, since he's the lead of the team. Uh, he feels some weight with that. So I would just encourage you to encourage him if and when appropriate. Not make up stuff, but please encourage. Uh, the second is a warning. We're in Acts, uh, right before this in chapter 1, before the Holy Spirit comes, people get saved and everything starts to get rocking. Um, what happened And when Jesus went up to heaven, so everybody look up with me, everyone just looked up and stared. Okay? And, uh, and the angels comes like, what are you doing? Like, go where he told you to go. Do what he's telling you to do. So my warning today is please don't just stare. So much of the time, if you're frequently in church, what can happen is we get numb. Sundays are what we do. Preaching is what we listen to. Songs are what we sing. Prayers are what we happen to think about. All of those things are distractions from us actually engaging God, listening to God. The religious rituals that are dead if they're not fueled by a heart that's desiring to be near to God, okay? So there's your encouragement and your warning. Let's pray. Father, I just asked this morning, would you come? Uh, would you send the Holy Spirit to come and just teach us? Um, God, I just confess my inability in my words, um, my insufficiency in my knowledge, and my inability in my power. But God, you're sufficient in every one of those areas. So Lord, wherever we're at today, would you meet with us? God, would you teach us? Would you encourage us? God, we bind the enemy from this place. God, we, we, we bind his voice that we don't want to hear any of it this morning. He has no right, power, authority in this room. But we want to hear only your voice and only your will. And God, I pray that you would expose hearts and that you would lay hearts bare and you would also encourage in profound ways because you're good. We invite you and we ask God, fill us with joy and the Holy Spirit today and let us be near you. In your name. Amen. All right, so uh, who here can remember when they first got a DVD player? Okay, like half of you. That's great. So our son the other day found a VHS and asked, so do we put this in and audio come out just only? It's like, <gasps> hurts my heart. So I remember back in high school uh, when we got our first DVD player, it had surround sound, which was awesome. It would look really ghetto now, but it was really cool. Um, and the first movie my dad got was Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Um, so, yeah, there you go. That's the only one we get all day. Uh, so, Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, so, just really high level. Basically, they form a fellowship, okay, uh, across different creatures, mankind, hobbit, elves, and so forth, to destroy this evil ring and this evil force called Sauron. Because the mission to destroy it was too great for only one of them. And they needed each other. And even when Sam and Frodo go off on their own, the rest of the team, the fellowship, fights from where they are for the same mission with the same goal. So I say that today because the mission that God has given us as Christians, the mission that God has given us as his church, the mission that God has given us as Delta Church to make, mature, and multiply disciples is well beyond any of us on our own. He's made it that we need each other. Isolated Christianity is not in the Bible. And we just need to know that going into it. As I said, we're a part of a series, A Heart of Maturing Disciples. And today we focus on community groups. And if you're a visitor here, um, I'm so glad you're here. You may be thinking, what is a community group? Um, so a community group is a group of individuals that meet in homes across the Springfield area during the week. They're made up of believers and seekers alike. And our desire for those groups is that individuals, no matter where they're at on their spectrum, whether they walk with Jesus 40 years or they're just asking questions, that everyone would grow closer to Jesus. Grow closer to Jesus in the hopes that people would meet Jesus and those groups would grow to they multiply so that more people can meet Jesus and grow in Jesus. These groups have a time of fellowship where they eat and make fun of each other. That's not actually in the documents. That probably happens. It happens at mine. Um, where they also uh, they, they study the Bible together. They have a Bible discussion looking what does it really look like to follow Jesus. Uh, 
and then have a time of prayer. So if you're a visitor, you're new, um, or if you ever listen to this sermon somewhere audio people, my encouragement to you is to plug into a community group. I know breaks coming up, but my encouragement is when August comes around, that's a perfect time. Just dive in. If you have questions in July, meet with me, one of the other community group leaders. Please. It's the lifeblood of Delta Church, and we need healthy community groups to be a healthy church. So my desire today are four things. Say four. You guys are great, some of you. Okay, I'll stop now. All right, so number one, I want to show you a healthy community from the book of Acts and how it relates to community groups. Number two, I want you, say you, to examine yourself and your own health in light of the things the Bible says. Number three, I want you, say you, to ask yourself, God, what do you want me to do with this information? And number four, I want you to remember the main idea. Christians mature as disciples as they live in deep, healthy community. Christians mature as disciples as they live in deep, healthy community. Everything we do as community groups and all that we focus on flows out of this text. We're mainly going to be in verse 42 with a sprinkling of 43 through 47. So please, open your Bible, look back, look at me with verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Two devotions they devoted themselves to. Number one, the first devotion that a healthy community devotes themselves to, to mature disciples, is the Word of God. The first devotion a healthy community devotes themselves to, to mature disciples, is the Word of God. This isn't sometimes. This isn't when you want to. This isn't when you like it. You devote yourself to the Word of God. It's active. It's constant. So Ephesians 2.20-21 through 21 says that the foundation for our faith in regards to forming the church was the prophets and the apostles, the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3 says that all Scripture, so this book, is breathed out by God for correcting, teaching, training, rebuking. 1 Corinthians 14 says that if, if you will not listen to the apostles' teachings or the word of God, you should not be listened to within the church. You should not be recognized as spiritual. You just don't get to make up stuff. 1 Corinthians 11 says that if you reject God's design of manhood and womanhood as declared from Genesis, the warning is that is not what the churches of God do. You are not a church of Jesus Christ. No matter what your sign says out front, that's not what they do. They submit to the word. They don't make up the word. John 10.10, or not 10.10, John chapter 10, Jesus says that his sheep will hear his voice and follow him. And 1 John 4.6, basically the apostle John says that if you don't listen to him and the apostles' teachings, you do not know God. A healthy community that matures disciples are those who devote themselves to the word of God. Okay? And this devotion is active. It's constant in the Greek. So um, back in 2000, the Rams were really good, and they were in St. Louis. I wish Chris Flynn was here because there would have been a joke about that right now, but he's gone, so I'm just going to stop it. Um, and they were known as the greatest show on turf. So back then, there, uh, there was a girl in high school, Kate, really sweet girl. She jumped on the bandwagon. So a guy would make fun of her devotion. He'd say, Man, that Kurt Falk is really good at being quarterback, isn't it? And that Marshall Warner, what a running back, Kate. And she'd just go on, oh, he is so good. Yes, he is. And he would just keep feeding this. But here's the problem. It was Kurt Warner and Marshall Falk, okay? But he was making fun of her devotion. It really isn't devotion. It was limited. It was momentary. As Christians, as a community, as a church, We must always go back to the word. What does God say? And what do we do in light of it? It is the authority by which we submit ourselves under, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Those verses I read and explained to you, I could replace them all with more. It's just to give you an idea that a healthy church that matures disciples, a healthy community that matures disciples is devoted to the word. Because the word is how we grow, 1 Peter 2. 
The word is how we see God clearly and stand on our faith, 2 Peter 1. The word is how we have hope, Romans 15, 4. Like if you want hope, if you're struggling, get in the word. It says it, Romans 15, 4. Write it down, go look it up, circle it, underline it. Mine's got marks everywhere. It really is okay. Other people say no, but it really is okay. Um, And last, I would say, is just the word is how people get saved, Romans 10. It reveals us, it reveals God. It's how salvation comes to the folks and to us. And that's why at community groups, our main focus in our time is Bible discussions, where we seek to take the word of God and we lay it on our lives. Our goal for community groups is not to make people smarter. Our goal for community groups is to make people fall in love with Jesus more, understand the gospel more, be more obedient, fight their sin more. Not just feel like we can quote stuff from Leviticus and feel good while we keep sinning, while we keep being prideful, while we don't engage our neighbor. Our desire is to take the word and lay it on our lives in such a way that we have to interact with it. Where do we struggle? Why do we do what we do? What experiences set us up this way? What does God say? In the hopes that God will meet with us in that. Devotion to the word must influence everything we do, our work, our relationship, our parenting, everything. We can't reject it. And the thing is, most people think that Christians, say Christians. Thanks, guys. Uh, They submit to the word because they don't, God's just going to crush them. They have to. They're not very, they just got to give up what they want to do. It's not fun. They just have to. They're so scared of their God. But here's the thing. There is a right fear of God. But the reality is, is that when you come to Christ, you realize something. You know what that is? You're not that smart, and neither am I. But God is. We're not that wise, but God is. So the greatest and most wisest thing we can do is give ourselves to God. There's a way that seems right to man that leads to death, Proverbs say, says. And you know what? All of us experienced that. Any of us said something we shouldn't have said that led to problems? Yeah. All of us. Anybody thought they did something good, and you know what actually made somebody upset? Will, you better raise your hand. My oldest son. I'm trying. I love it. Thanks, Will. We do it. We're not that smart. And that's okay, people. We don't have to hide it. God's not ashamed of it. That's why we go to the Word. That's why we go. I, don't, I get up early in the morning or stay up late at night reading the Word, not to try to get God in my debt. Not to earn from him, but rather to be refreshed in what he's already earned for me. I clean up the dishes after dinner, not just to make Sarah happy or because she's asked me to, because she hasn't. I do it because Ephesians 5 says that I'm to love my, my wife like Christ loves the church and gives himself up for her. So whether I've had a long day, whether I feel like it or not, I'm cleaning those dishes and I'm cleaning up rice off the floor because my kids somehow miss their mouth. But it happens. There's four of them. It's okay. Um, It's part of it. But I don't do it because I have to. I do it because there's good. I know my deepest joy is found in loving my wife as Christ did. I don't know if you guys have this with your kids yet, but our three oldest, somehow when we put them to bed, we say, hey, let's not make any noise. Let's go ahead and go to sleep. But somehow injuries happen in bed. I don't get it. Um, things become itchy, things happen, bladder attacks. I'm like, gosh, what happened? So by the third round of this, I go and I get to their white door and I stop myself. <laughs> Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for which the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I don't do that in that moment because I feel like it. I feel like going in and be like, do you not understand? I said no more. Seriously, you can handle a boo-boo. I mean, I feel like just letting them know all these gracious, loving things that a dad should say, right? No. But that's what I feel like. But Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So I go to submit myself under the word of God as I go in that room, knowing that sometimes when I open that door, it'll be Reed saying, Dad, I just want to tell you I love you. Thanks for being my dad. When I was going to be like, what do we need now? Emergency, what is it? House on fire? I do do that sometimes, but um, we must submit ourselves to the word. 
The first devotion we see is a deep, healthy community that helps Christians mature as they are devoted to the Word of God. Second devotion, look at verse 42. We're going to read it again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and a fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All right, so a deep, healthy community that helps Christians mature as the disciples is one that devotes themselves to the Word, and the second is they devote themselves to fellowship. Say fellowship. Fellowship, and it's a commitment to each other, and it takes on two forms, okay? It takes on a food form, which is most likely communion and a meal. You see that from 1 Corinthians 11, that that would have been something they would have been doing together. They eat together a lot, and they celebrate communion a lot together. And the other form that marked their fellowship was prayer, that they prayed a lot together. They prayed a lot together. So the food or the meal, it represents this idea of time, care, and relationship. It represents the idea of time, care, and relationship. They valued one another. They wanted to spend time together. So they eat together. They shared their food. They valued that relationship. So Sarah and I go away a few times a year to St. Louis. And one of the things that marks our time is shopping. So question for you, does John Kleinschmidt like shopping? You two are talking later, okay? No, unless it's for like hunting stuff, then I probably would like it. But no, anything else, like do I like going to St. Charles? Did I, 13 years ago when we first started, like going to St. Charles and going shop to shop? Wow, that's nice stuff. I'm going to break it probably if I touch it. No, no. but does John Kleinschmidt love being with Sarah Kleinschmidt? Yes. Do I find value now in going to Goodwill and finding $6 shoes? Yes. But it's because I value her. The community wasn't perfect. 3,000 people got saved. They probably had some annoying laughs, funky odors, and some things they didn't necessarily love, but they valued each other. They valued each other. That's why at community groups we do fellowship nights. That's why we recommend having a snack to start off your evening so that you can be there and just enjoy some time together. That you can hear about each other's week. The last thing we want for community groups is that they're a checkbox. Yep, feel good about myself now. I got to just share all my dirty laundry and moving on. Whatever it is, like we don't want that. That's the wrong view. We want time, care, and relationships. So we try to create environments where we spend time together, we express care, and, and by God's grace, we'll build relationships as we share our stresses, watch our kids tackle each other, drink some lemonade, have some trifle that Gail Waddell makes, which is delicious. Okay. A healthy community that matures disciples. They're devoted to fellowship, and one means that is time, care, and relationships. The second one, the second aspect of the food versus the meal is communion. Okay, so say communion. So it's the breaking of bread. And so the communion aspects represents this. It represents remembering the gospel. It represents remembering the gospel, the work that Jesus has done and what that secures, what that means today, and what that will mean in the future. A healthy community that matures disciples is a community that constantly remembers and reminds each other. Don't miss this. This is probably the one that I think can kill us all. Reminds each other of the gospel. If we forget the gospel, we miss Christianity. If we forget the gospel, we miss God's glory. If we forget the gospel, we miss our hope for genuine change. Anybody want to change something in their life? Me too. We need the gospel. The reason we need reminded by each other constantly is because we forget the gospel. As Christians, we forget it. Now, I don't mean we forget the facts, okay? I don't mean that we forget the Jesus lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, raised on the third day, ascended into heaven, and that through him, you and I, wicked, deplorable, no good sinners, it's just the truth, that have nothing to earn from God at all, can be connected to him purely through grace and mercy. Nothing you bring besides your sin. Take him up on it. I don't say that we're forgetting that. We don't forget the facts. We forget the implications. 
We forget the implications. We forget what it actually means. We in our flesh start to try to find a way to add to Jesus' work. We start to try to find a way to earn our own righteousness to make us okay. Whether it's looking pretty in front of other people so they don't really know what's going on, whatever it is, we start to try to form up our own righteousness to somehow make God be in our debt. The Apostle Peter in Galatians 2, he forgot the gospel and he needed community, Paul, to remind him. He knew it. He's the Apostle Peter. But he forgot the implications and he was led astray. Galatians 3, it says that, the, that they forgot the gospel of grace, that all of a sudden, hey, Jesus is great, but now you know what I need to do versus the live by faith thing? I need to work a lot. I'm going to get God to do what I want him to do. I'm going to do enough. I'm going to read enough. Man, when you do that, all you're left with is legalism or despair. Because now you get to be God. I'm going to control the sovereign. If we forget that God works off of mercy, grace, and his sovereign freedom, and we trust him, and we trust the sufficiency of what Jesus did as our only means to approach him, everything comes askewed. That's why in Romans... 115, Paul, writing to Christians, says that he's eager to preach to them the gospel. It's not because they hadn't heard it, the Christians. It's because we're prone to forget it, prone to start to say, yeah, but I need to do more, get more, and try to earn from God versus responding to what Jesus has already earned for us and living in light of that. Titus 3 goes so far that says if you forget the gospel, no matter what you're doing, whatever it is isn't a good work because you're motivated out of the flesh and you're just trying to earn from God. It's worthless no matter how many people you feed if you are not flowing out of what Christ has done and you're trying to get God in your debt. When we forget the gospel, we start to live by works. Fear rules. We start to fear God's coming for us. Well, you know why this just happened in my life? God's mad at me. I did that. You know why my kid's not changing? Because of the list of all the things I didn't do. Now, there is responsibility. Don't get me wrong. And we can sow seeds, which we will reap if they're bad. But we're not God. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My salvation was not based upon my parents. It was based upon the mercy and grace of God. When we forget the gospel, we start to get our worth and our identity from other things and how things work out. We start to get them from our kids, our spouse, our work, our ministry, our obedience. If I can do good enough, we start to get our worth. It starts to be tied up in it. We begin to measure everything, and when something comes bad or goes bad, our world falls apart because we're trying to earn our righteousness in that moment. We're trying to get our worth from somebody other than Jesus. Man, I had that this week. I had it this week. Going for the sermon, so this is some of this is going to sound silly. You're you're welcome. Um, that's just the truth. So right, I'm in my mind thinking, man, how much do I pray, and who can I? How many more people should I ask for prayer, so that make sure that God shows up on Sunday? Should I fast more than one time? Should, is that is that what I need to do? Super silly. On Friday, I'm going, and caffeine can sometimes mess with me. Ask Brian Hubert; he has some stories. But anyway, so caffeine can sometimes mess me up. So I'm going buy a coffee on at work on. Friday, I'm like, should I have some coffee? Should I not? And I start to complicate it like, well, if it messes with me, I don't want to be addicted to caffeine. And I, in my mind, start to build my own righteousness so that I'll control God and whether he moves or doesn't move upon my actions over something silly as coffee. Or this week thinking, you know what? If I can be a good enough dad, I'll be righteous enough to be able to preach authoritatively and not feel bad. All of those things are opposite of the gospel. All of those things are missing Jesus. All of those things are back to the law. And I'm living by works in that moment. And I need somebody to remind me that your worth in Christ. The bill's been paid. Sufficiency therein. Your hope for change isn't you. It's the power of God that lives in you. I'm not saying we don't do anything. There's plenty of commands in the Bible. 
Philippians 2.12 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But here's the reason why. For it is God who works in you. That we recognize that even the power to change and do is a gift of grace. 1 Corinthians 15 sin. Paul says, I work harder than the rest of you, which sounds really boastful. And then he says, but it's not me that works. It's the grace of God working through me. Jesus' work secured us not only salvation, but transformation. He secured us power that in his divine nature, 2 Peter 1, 3, we're given all we need for life and godliness through the work of Jesus, not through the work of John Kleinschmidt. If we miss that God works off of mercy and grace, we start to try to become something. And man, it's a life of fear and we run from God, not to him. Or become really prideful, shell people. So this week, whenever I struggle with my identity and worth, I didn't need somebody to say, that's all right, dude. I need somebody to remind me of the gospel, right? So I go to Kyle and I get prayer at work and Kyle's just like, "Uh, God could kill you, man. You know that on Sunday and still do whatever he wants. You know that, right? I'm like, I do know that. Thank you for that first thing you said to me. (laughs) But it's true. I mean, it's like your worth, like you don't add anything to Jesus. Hold that he's sufficient. Man, if you're getting whipped by your sin, what you don't need somebody to say is, hey, read your Bible more, although you may need to read your Bible more. Because, like, really, that's how you find hope and fight. But first thing you need is you need hope in the gospel. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. You can run to God now, Hebrews 4, not away from him. Believe the gospel. Hold what Christ has done. Your worth is not tied in you. If it is, you're not going to go anywhere because none of us are righteous. Even as Christians, we just fail over and over again, and God's not mad about it. That's why he gave us the gospel. Run to him in it. The gospel does not excuse sin. Do not hear me say that. It gives us a means to deal with it. Or maybe you're struggling with um, not forgiving somebody, or maybe um, you're struggling with change. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's your spouse. Not that anybody wants their spouse ever to change. (laughs) No, that's craziness. Maybe your marriage is having a hard time. You don't need to hide from that. You don't need to cover it up. We're prone to try to just make up stuff. What you need is the good news of the gospel that not only did Jesus die, but he raised and he's seated at the right hand of God and all authority under heaven and earth is his. He can change you. Submit to him. Get into community. Get into the word. Pour out your heart to him. He can change your spouse. He can change your marriage. You can do it. I deeply want my kids to know Jesus and and walk in deepness with Jesus. And And here's the thing. I'm a broken man who's imperfect in so many ways. A friend told me when I came to Christ, he said, as you grow closer to Jesus, guess what you're going to see? And I said, what, glory? No, I didn't actually say that. I wouldn't have been that theological at the moment. Um, he said, you're gonna, the closer you get, the more broken you're going to see that you are. I was like, well, that's super discouraging, Steve. Thank you. And he's totally right. He's totally right. He's like, but that's how you need God. Keep running to him. My hope for my kid's salvation is not that I'm a good enough dad or get in to say some prayer or convince me that they're righteous enough and that they care enough and memorize enough verses, although I do recommend having your kids memorize verses. My hope is in the gospel that it is God who elects. It is God who calls. It is God who justifies. It is God who sanctifies. It is God who will glorify. It is God that in the face of Jesus Christ shines into people that cannot see and gives them eyes to see him. That's my hope for their salvation. My hope for my own change is that God will sanctify me, that Jesus' work was sufficient not only to save me for a moment, now I add to it, but to save me until I go home and to sanctify me and to grow me. He's given me the power, according to Ephesians 1, that raised him from the dead lives in me. I have hope for change, but it's not me, it's him. We have to be a community and community groups that are steeped in the gospel. Why, that's why at community groups we seek to have an open environment. Did you know you don't have to come to community group and be pretty? 
Like you don't have to act like it's all okay. I hope you actually answer like, yeah, totally, I've been there. I've had those crying times. I've been a part of churches where people look pretty, and then when somebody actually expresses the brokenness that's in their life, nobody knew what to do. And they don't deal with things early. They're waiting until it's actually a giant mess versus saying, hey, me and my husband and wife are having problems over here. Um, and they start here. It's like, hey, five years ago this started, and now it's a huge, you know, bomb because we never dealt with it anywhere. It's like, uh, and nobody knew what to do. We have to have an environment where we can be honest and remind each other of the gospel. doesn't mean excuse sin. What it does mean is we go back to God, we go back to his word, we submit to it. And the gospel is at work in church discipline as much as it is at work in all forms of restoration. Okay. I told Sarah I might share, so I will. Um, so when we first came to the Delta, which would be about nine years ago, um, God, like we had a first couple hard years of marriage, okay? It was just the truth. Um, part of it was for a bunch of different reasons. Um, Sarah thought she was saved, wasn't. I didn't know how to lead. I was trying to make her like me. Terrible idea. Everybody take that note. Let's go through books of the Bible and exegete everything. It'll be fun. <laughs> it's just like, oh, this is overwhelming. Um, it was hard. So God starts to heal us up, starts to change us, starts to move in us. The weeks come, and we, we start coming to Delta, and in the community group there, probably Sarah would always say for the first several meetings, she would cry. And it wasn't because things were bad. It was just because we were being honest and working through our stuff. And God was healing us up supernaturally in community as we devoted ourselves to the word and to the gospel. Don't hide. Don't hide. So a healthy community that matures disciples, they remember and remind each other of the gospel. And the last one is verse 42. It says, prayer, prayer, and they gave themselves the prayer. The last aspect of fellowship is prayer. Not only they ate together, remembered the gospel together, and prayed together, uh, they also prayed together. We must be a people of prayer, because guess what? You can't change yourself. I can't change myself. The Christians in Acts embraced this idea. Acts chapter 4, they, had, they knew what they should do. They had all these fears, and they go to God. It wasn't an intellectual game. Knowing what to do was insufficient. They knew the right, but they could not do it on their own. So they go to God, sovereign God, help us. We want to be faithful, but we can't. To walk the life Christ has called us to, we need a constant power of the Holy Spirit on us, moving and changing us. We need God. Our God is a God. He's not an intellectual Jenga, as I wrote it in my notes. We need, we need his power and his spirit, and we need him constantly, and he lives in us, but we also just need an external force pressing us as well. And the means that comes about is prayer. We're a people desperate for the presence and the power of God. That's why community groups are third section of times devoted to prayer. It's not supposed to just be the cap off on the night. It's supposed to be our greatest hope in that moment to experience the power and presence of God to apply all that we've talked about and to help us in our need, whatever we've expressed as struggles. It's not supposed to be just something you do to make you feel like, that was Christian-y. We devote ourselves to prayer. We devote ourselves to prayer. One time years ago, I had a friend, um, I was sharing my problems with him, um, which that was years ago. Now, no problems, guys. It's perfect here. No, uh, I was sharing my problems with him, and first thing he said is like, that's good. He's like, I have some thoughts on that. He's like, but first, let's pray. He's like, more than we need my thoughts is we need God to show up and to speak to you and encourage you. So with that, let's pray. That's what we started, and then he shared his thoughts. A Christian matures as a disciple as they live in deep, healthy community that is devoted to the word of God and fellowship with God and others as seen in caring for one another, prioritizing one another, praying, and reminding each other of the gospel. That's why we do everything we do with community groups. That's why we structure them in the way that we do. Our hopes is to be a place where we can put ourselves under the fountain of God's grace, asking him to hit us and to move our groups with fruit of the Holy Spirit moving power. If you want to see the fruit to happen from them, 
43 through 47. I'm not going to preach this. I'm just going to go through it quick. Here's the fruit of God being in their midst. 43. All of God came on all the people in their supernatural events of healing. God let them see him clearly. That's been my whole prayer this week is for you and me to see God clearly. That he would give us that gift because that's a gift. And supernatural events happened. Fruit number two, 44 through 45. They had self-sacrifice. They weren't thinking, what can't I do? The first thing they said is, what can I do to help? They gave up their stuff out of love for others. They sacrificed because God was giving them a generous heart. Not to earn from God because of what God's already earned in Christ. Verse 46, they had a genuine joy and appreciation and love for one another. They met day to day in the temple. They received their food with thankful hearts. Everything was an act of grace. Being together was like going on vacation and not being together was like getting back from vacation. You look forward to the next vacation. They genuinely loved being together. That's a fruit I see in Delta. Don't miss that's a fruit of God and not of us. Do not take for granted of that. Ask him for more. The last one, 47. They had open worship. They praised God and people were getting saved. Favor with others. They were getting saved. We're getting saved. They didn't say, this is our church. This is our community group. This is our comfort level. Thank you. We don't really want you here. Instead, they said, man, we're, come in. We're a people who love God's word, love God, love others. We talk about this gospel thing, and you are welcome to be a part. Come, give your sin to Jesus. Worship this awesome and magnificent God like we do. We are midst of broken people serving an awesome God who loves us and cares. Come meet him. Worship with us. My prayer for community groups, and I would ask you if, you, if you pray for community groups, is that we would hold to our devotions and that God would be gracious enough in his sovereign freedom to give us the fruits and more of them. We'd see more healings, more salvations, more heart healings. I remember Brittany Carver a few years ago. We were sitting there and we surrounded her in our house to pray for her shoulder for whatever reason we felt like we wanted to that night. Next day, no more pain, right? We've seen salvations. D, who's in the back, the Carvers, Angela. We've seen people come to know Jesus. That's supernatural. We want more. Not because God has to, but because we know that we need the power of God. We've seen marriages get healed up. Guys, you've got to know this. We want to be self-sacrificed where the first thing we say is, what can I do? I can text, I can call, I can give a $10 gift card. We want to keep loving each other, do that more and more. And we want to be groups where we worship and praise God unashamedly together and we invite people, come into community group. We love you. And you're welcome to worship him too. It's not crazy. Let me share the gospel with you. This is why we do all that we do as community groups. A Christian matures as disciples. They live in deep, healthy community that is devoted to the word of God and fellowship with God and others as seen in caring for one another, prioritizing one another, praying and reminding each other of the gospel. This is time of response. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list off four things quickly. And I, and I would just say first, I don't know where you're at, but we want to be doers of the word, not just hearers. So if God presses on your heart, would you get prayer before you leave today? I'll be in the back, but you don't need to get prayer from me. You can get prayer from anyone that's in here that knows Jesus. But would you get prayer? Do not run from this moment. Do not reject the grace of God if he's bringing clarity to you. Don't spur the spirit. Trust that. Trust it. Um, if you're a visitor here, um, man, just welcome. And if you're a non-Christian or seeker, glad you're here. Maybe this is the day that God wants to add you to his church. Maybe he wants to save you today. That's awesome. You don't do anything besides recognize his authority and his lordship. You repent, you turn from your sins, you see Jesus as the Lord, and you embrace him as the only means of salvation. His work on the cross to make you right with God because you're separated. And there's nothing you can do. We're going through Genesis as a family right now in our Bible time, family worship, whatever you like to call. There's a guy named Joseph. Say Joseph. Thanks, that's my pause so I can drink. Joseph and his brothers were horrible to him, sold him into slavery, tried to kill him. 20 years later, 
They come to him because God has put him as the second one in the power, or the second, uh, in second power. That's the wrong way to say it. He's really high in power in Egypt. He's the second one, okay, after Pharaoh. Um, and he's got all this authority and this power, and they come looking for food because there's famine in the land. They don't recognize it's Joseph. And Joseph has the right, the power, and the authority to kill them and not think twice. Not only does he have the right, power, and authority, he has the motive. You guys tried to kill me. It's time. You feel the pain. But out of love, he forgives them. Out of mercy, he welcomes them. He loves them, and he chooses to let it go. If you don't know Jesus, Joseph is a picture to you today that God has all the rights, the power, and authority to destroy you and me and doesn't need to think twice. He will condemn everyone who does not love Jesus to hell rightfully, not wrong. He is righteous in that judgment. He's not bad. That means he's good. But his heart breaks in mercy and he's offering Jesus Christ in your place. Don't reject the mercy. If you're a Christian here and you call Delta home, my question to you is, are you devoted to community groups? Are you devoted? Do you just go when you want to? Do you go when you feel like it? Is it something that's like, eh, I don't know what I'm going to get out of it tonight, so I think I'll stay home. Do you view community groups like it's vacation? Do you get built up? Here's the thing. Community groups are not about you. They're about God and they're about others. They're not about whether what I can get from it. Like maybe that night you're supposed to be there, not so you can get, but so that you can give. Maybe somebody needed you to pray for them that night. If you're a part of Delta and you're not devoted to a community group, I'm, I'm asking you, dive in, buy in. If you're hurt from past communities, get in some form of community, get healed up so you can do it. There's no perfect community group, no perfect community group leaders. But there is the Bible that tells us to be devoted to community. I know this is over community group breaks come up in a month. So here's what it is. So you're like, yeah, great job, John. Sermon on community groups and no more community group for a month. So here's the thing. It's a test. Hear it this way. If, you got, if there's a genuine conviction because God pressed on your heart, we need to buy into this and change the way we view it. Or do we just feel bad because John preached on it? You get the gift of a month test. August will expose where your heart was. That's okay. It'll expose. Dive in. Give yourself away. Third question, are you devoted to God's word? Are you devoted? What excuses are you having? Man, I can't even give it five seconds because I got other stuff to do on Facebook. Thank you. Are you devoted to God's word? Because you know what makes a healthy community? Healthy Christians help a lot. Are you individually devoted to God's word? If not, why? What do you need to repent of? Were you deceived? Is there a spiritual stronghold where you need prayer over? If you're feeling bad right now because you're not devoted to God's word, that's not of God. That's you getting your righteousness from your doings or don't doings. Look to the gospel. God knows. Turn to him in it. Don't say, man, I'm not good enough. Well, it's because you're getting your righteousness from your actions. No, you're not. That's the point. Go to Jesus and look for help. We repent because of his work, not because we can repent sufficiently. And the last one, where do you need to remember the gospel? Where do you need fresh grace today? Where are you getting your identity or your hope? Where are you trying to get God into your debt? Are you a person that gets completely depressed and down if somebody points out somewhere it's difficult? Are you a person who has to be right on everything? Are you a person that can never admit they're wrong? Everybody point your finger up in the air. Go high. That's awesome. You guys would be great at Simon Says. All right, and now to your chest. Okay, so right now you're pointing at the biggest struggle in your relationships. If we forget the gospel, we cannot admit that we're wrong. We will hide it. We will cover it. We will do anything. Don't expose me. I'm earning my righteousness today versus accepting the reality that, man, that doesn't mean everybody else is right in their relationships. 
But the first thing I have to ask is, what am I doing? Where's my heart? That's James 4. I don't know where you're at, but I know that a Christian matures as they live in deep, healthy community. And I implore you, as the kids come in, who are super cute, by the way, um, and Connor comes to sing, worship God. He's the great I am. He can change anything. Remember the gospel. Run to God. Remember the power of God. Humble yourselves before God. He will give more grace. Don't do this alone. I'll be in prayer. I'll be in the back to get prayer. But please don't neglect this mercy. Let me pray. Father, I just love you. I ask that you would pour out your spirit upon this place. God, I pray right now. God, we are all just broken failures and just fall short all the time. And I love you because you don't look at us and say, man, you should be better by now. You look at us and say, that's the point. Come to me. Let me keep shaping you. Hope in me. Smitch to the word. Find your righteousness in me and me alone. Don't try to earn from, but receive what has been earned. And in that, you have hope for change. God, I pray that you would let your spirit dwell on us. And that anyone, God, that's maybe discouraged too much, anyone that's maybe getting their righteousness from something other than you, Lord, would you help them graciously reveal that? And may they find that as sweet news, not news to push away. For those who are struggling with community, fellowship, or with the word, God, would you let them dive in? Not because they trust community, but because they trust you and they trust your word. God, I'm asking that today would be a day that marks healing and change in people's relationships and in themselves, not because I gave them four points to solve, but because the hopes in the gospel, the power of God, the sufficiency of the sacrifice, that we serve a God who's for us and not against us, not because of our works, but because of Jesus. And secured in Jesus is secured love and power and sufficiency to change us. Do your will, Lord, and please break hearts. Make people not be the same when they leave. And let us get prayer. Let us be doers, not hearers. Humble us, God, for now and to eternity. In your name, amen.